Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. Well, this is uh, part of a, a continuing series that I'm doing on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if you want to hear um, some of the other parts of the series, you can either download them on the Apple Aspen Chapel podcast from Apple uh, or Google Play or check out our YouTube channel. In the Beatitudes, which is right at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us the journey that the soul must take in order to live within the nature of Christ. A journey that takes us from not knowing to the full realisation of the true nature of reality. And having gone through all that, he then goes on in the salt and light passage to stress the importance of making the most of our realisations. So he starts the journey that we must undertake. He stresses the importance of the work that we do. And then he goes on to lay the map of the territory that we're living in. He begins with the law of the land and and gives a new perspective, seeing life from a non-dual position, one where there's no distraction between heaven and earth. And we therefore have a new way to look at law and order that includes everything. Then he asks us to love all of creation including our enemies, a radical understanding that all things have equal value within a spiritual context. And then this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues do, and on streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, you know, a cursory reading of this focuses your mind on the whole aspect of giving to the needy and the temptation is to go into a long discussion as how important it is to give to those in need. But that's not what Jesus's emphasis is at all here. Every good first century Jew would know that it's important to give to those in need. It's basic rabbinical law. But what's not so obvious is his emphasis here on the way that you do it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues and on the streets do to be honoured by others. What Jesus is actually talking about here is the ostentatious way that some people give with one eye on how others will view their giving. This is really about the way that many of us live our lives through other people's eyes, trying to get approval for the way that we act, worrying about what others will think about us, and this dictating the way that we live our lives. Living your life through other people's eyes is like watching your destiny die. Each of us has a role to play in the great scheme of things. And the prompting towards that role comes not from the approval or disapproval of others, but from within us, 
from the core of our very souls? What stopped us trusting our senses and our own thoughts as a way of working out what's going on? Well, I've said it before, but I think what stopped us coming from the inside happens at a really early age. When we're very little, we think that we're perfect and we think that life is perfect. We don't see imperfection everywhere. Our parents coo over us and tell us that they love us and they love everything we do, whether it's puking up or pooing or whatever it is, they love it all. We can do no wrong. Then one day, probably about the age of two, we pick up a crayon and see this huge expanse of whiteness in front of us. Now, we know that mummy and daddy like the pictures that we draw, saying how great they always are. So you decide to draw a huge picture from them. You cover the white space of the wall in all the colours that you have, and you make this amazing creative design. But when you fetch mummy and show her what you've done, she reacts with fury. How could you be so naughty? She shouts, drawing all over the wall. She gets daddy. And both of them make a lot of noise, which seems to be directed at you. And so you have your first dawning realization that things are not all that they should be. That horror of horrors, you've done something that's not perfect. In fact, more than that, you have the terrible realization that you're not perfect. You're not perfect and the world's not perfect. And you think or rationalize as only a two-year-old can and you come up with the next basic question. If I'm not perfect, what must I do to be perfect? It's logical. You were perfect, now you're not. So how do you get back to perfection? And the answer is right there in front of you in the shape of your parents. They told you that you were not perfect, therefore... They must know what it is to be perfect. And so you make the fateful decision that will stay with you for the rest of your life. You do what you think they will approve of. You begin to seek their approval. You don't get it right every time. In fact, sometimes you get so angry about things that you willfully go against their approval, especially in adolescence. But basically, you begin to see yourself in terms of the way that other people see you. You want to please others because then they're nice to you and life works better. And so the corruption gradually sets in. You continually try to second guess what you ought to do in your life, not using your own experience, but looking to the experience of others. You feed on the affirmation they give you and you want more of it. Some of us build our whole careers around affirmation. I know, I was in advertising, and much of my motivation that I've done in my life has been built around the need for affirmation from others. And by living through the eyes of others, many of us are unwilling to step out of line. We continually worry about what others are going to think about our actions, our clothes, what we say how we present ourselves. And that leads us going into a shell framed by the approval of others. We give away the one real power that we have, the power to act 
out of our own life experiences. And over the years, you give away that power to your friends through peer pressure. You give it away to teachers, religions, groups, governments, gurus. In fact, anyone who can make a case for knowing more about life than you do. Now, obviously, in many cases, it's appropriate to give away such power. You know, your education might depend on it. Bosses have a right to it. Governments demand it and will exert consequences if you don't follow the rules that they lay down. And yet you still have the ultimate responsibility for deciding about the way that you live your life, the way you decide on the nature of reality that you live within. But in many cases, you give that away too. And so we're left feeling helpless, not knowing where to start if you want to challenge anything. You feel that others always know more than you do about life, that they're always better read, better traveled, have more success or money or power, and generally leave you feeling, what do I know anyway? Some people make it their business to ensure that you feel less than. Class systems, caste systems are are ways that generations of families have developed to make sure that their own kind stay on top and the rest of us feel not worthy of competing because we're less than. So in the end, you give up trying. You get on the treadmill and you keep pedaling in the hope that it will at least get you somewhere. And of course, it never does because the treadmill is fixed firmly to the ground And the whole reality is an illusion. Jesus is attacking this way of thinking here, one that makes us give ostentatiously to others so that they'll think better of us. And it's not just humility that Jesus is talking about here. It's the whole way of thinking that looks to others for approval. It's it's the whited sepulchre syndrome that Jesus is attacking here, being clean on the outside, but containing rottenness on the inside like tombs. Jesus is asking us not to look for approval from others, not to play to the gallery, but instead to come from the inside. The next passage on the Sermon on the Mount is about prayer. And here again, he reinforces that idea by saying, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. So often we do find ourselves playing to the gallery in pursuit of fame, money, success, houses, acclaim. Jesus is asking us here to seek first the kingdom of heaven, to look into the promptings of our soul, promptings that lead us to compassion to give to others for giving sake, not to be seen and to be acclaimed. And this is not just Jesus telling us off. He's showing the path that we're to take if we're to live our lives more skillfully. The narrow path, the road less traveled. He's saying that our guiding light should be our relationship with the divine within us, not a reaction to approval or disapproval for those around us. And it might seem obvious, but but it is a very fine line to tread. How can you tell the difference between the promptings of your soul and your mind 
just telling you what to do. Well, only our experience of life will help us with that. But Jesus is saying here that one thing will not help us is by playing to the gallery. If you eliminate that, then half the work is done. It makes discernment a lot easier. And many of us do worry about what other people think. We want to conform. We want to do well. We don't want others to disapprove others. But that whole debate takes us away from being led by our spirit in our lives. To take our bearings from others is a way of robbing our own true destiny and having us live the lives of others rather than our own life. Our search for the approval of others and for what is understood to be successful leads us into territory that was, that was never meant for us. And it explains why there's so much dissatisfaction in the world, people going in the wrong direction. When prompted by our inner life, we're taken into those areas where we will have the most impact on the evolution of consciousness, where we'll make the most contribution. You know, each of us is at the end of a particular stream of consciousness that's gone through time. Over the years, over the generations, we've had in our families issues and neurosis that goes right the way through families, and they've ended up with the issues and neuroses that we individually are left to deal with. In my own case, both my grandparents went through two world wars and my father's generation was educated to do rather than to feel, to act rather than to talk. And I have within me, and part of my struggle has been healing those tendencies not to feel And I'm doing that on behalf of my life and on behalf of my family. And that idea of of doing rather than feeling, you know, the 60s was a great reaction against all that. The next generation said, enough. Let's express ourselves freely. And each of us in our own lives has things that we have to deal with, not only within ourselves, that have come up within our families, ideas, ways of being, consciousness that needs transforming. You can see it in those traits that run through families. Alcoholism, abandonment, violence. There's been a generation that heals each of those traits. There has to be a generation that does that, that stops those traits in their tracks. And you can see it in some families when that's happened, like the match bent forward so it doesn't burn and therefore stops the fire. One way of dealing with these problems that we have in our lives is to ignore them and to run after what other people approve of, to run after the money, success, whatever the world is valuing. But that misses the point that each of our lives is significant in its own way. It may not look much, but our life is what we're given to live. And if we live it the best we can and are prompted by our hearts rather than the way others see us, then we're fulfilling our destiny, making the contribution that we were born to make. 
if we avoid that responsibility that's come down the generations, that we're now the focus point, if we ignore that, then we're just pushing it off to the next generation for our children to deal with. So this passage is really about how we negotiate our lives. Are we to be driven by the winds of popular opinion? And some might say that this is exactly what's derailed politics all around the world. Or are we guided by conviction, that inner force within us that will lead us to lie down in green pastures and beside still waters, so to speak. Not to say that the path is easy, it's not. And often we're going to end up with pain. But because we're accepting that pain and not blaming others or running away from it, and we're transforming it on behalf of ourselves and on behalf of previous generations, behalf of our ancestors who passed it on to us, we have the serenity of the green pastures and the still waters in our soul. Jesus is showing here how to navigate our way through life. He's directing us inwards towards the impetus to be part of the process of evolution rather than ignore it. And we have to look daily at what we do to continually take an inventory of our lives and think, why am I doing this? Where is the prompting coming from? Where is my inner life telling me to go right now? And more often than not, we're prompted to accept the pain we feel, to transform our experience rather than to try to get away from it. And through doing that, we fulfill the destiny that we're born to do. We may not be the first person on the moon. We might not found a dynasty. We might not be a big star, but we will be doing what we were born to do. And that changes everything because we play our part in shifting that consciousness so that love is manifest through us. Everything else is just moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. Even if we move the deck chairs and rearrange them in the most beautiful way, we're still going down. If it's not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I am nothing. I gain nothing, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. By being prompted by love rather than the approval of my peers, I will never fail. That is the lesson that we must learn. And next week, we're going to look at the part that prayer plays within that. Pontificating about them? Um, <laughs> yes. The one big thought I had was um, when he talked about how we live to the gallery so yeah. easily, how, we, how easily we define ourselves through other people's eyes. It made me think of the analogy of a, of a mirror and of, of how what, what we really need to do, all we really need to do is to, um, to stand before the one ultimate mirror. And if we think of, of God as the, as the great I am and, and the, um, the ground of being, you know, beingness itself, yeah. then the best way that we can, we can um, get who we are and really live, live and be our authentic selves is simply to spend time in front of that 
one absolutely perfect mirror because mirrors don't mirrors don't lie and they don't distort they they just reflect exactly they reflect exactly how you are so if yeah. i'm just in that pure presence um you know we'll we'll we'll, fi- we'll find out who we are i love that idea that in in life we in relations, we have a constituting other. Uh, that, you remember that, that, that idea of a constituting other? And in a sense, you know, I suppose you're my constituting other on one level. And yet, actually, the, our, our real constituting other should be that divine prompting within us. And so many of us, you know, look around for constituting others. You know, you know our children, you know, I just have to buy the best brands because their, their friends say, you've got to get this brand or got to get this type of shoe. And peer pressure is so huge, really. You know, we, we want our, our Lexus or we want our, you know, whatever uh, particular car that we want, you know, or, or, or the house or whatever. You know, we really, keeping up with the Joneses or whatever it is, is a huge thing. Um, and we really have to sort of get away from that, I think. Yeah, I just, I just feel like the, the more we can be authentically, absolutely who we are by um, finding not just that one mirror, but then other mirrors that reflect who we are. Like we need to develop the capacity to, um, to, to recognize uh, who we are and, to, you know, to like choose your friends carefully, yeah. choose, choose, choose your mirrors carefully. And that's why we have communities like this, because we're accountable to each other. And that, that accountability enables us to keep going, I think. Yeah, and then for us, you know, to, to wipe clean our mirror so that we can be a good mirror to other people yeah. and so that we can see people as they truly are too, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting as well, that idea that we are at the end of the, the spectrum of consciousness, you know, of all those generations that have got behind us. And, you know, we see very simply the fact that, uh, you, know, we, you know, my children have got some, my eyes and your feet or whatever it is. But actually, we also get passed on in our genes the issues and problems that each of us has. And, uh, the idea that we, we, we're there, if we don't follow those promptings of our hearts, then we don't deal with those problems and situations. Yeah, that was really interesting. Like the, the responsibility upon each of us in, in every generation to, to, to spot what's being passed on to us and what our opportunity is. For, yeah. for what do we need to transform on behalf of our parents, grandparents, all our ancestors? And not to miss that opportunity and not to pass that thing on to our children. Um, and also, though, to, to, to carry on what's of true value and what we have inherited from our yes, ancestors and, and build on that, too. That's really important, isn't it? That, that as well as those traits, we've also been passed down values that we really you know, need to live out those values because you know, those values have taken generations to develop and uh, you know, we're part of that as well. Yeah. Great. Thank you very much for that. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.